Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here going solo, breaking down the Knicks 121 to 112 win over the Detroit Pistons. They didn't have Kate Cunningham, so this is a game the Knicks probably should have won and maybe shouldn't have been quite as close as it was. But fantastic performances from the big three of Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, and Julius Randle. A uh, little bit of concern on that three-point defense again, which I'll get into in the second segment, and then close out with some notes, including some extended-ish minutes for Quentin Grimes again, uh, which is nice to see him back on the floor and some other odds and ends from this game. Coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Locked On Knicks. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks a part of your daily routine. Whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube, I appreciate you uh, welcoming me into your ears or perhaps your eyes today. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And the Knicks win a game. They won a game Friday night. Friday night Knicks. Uh, it's always, I don't know, I feel like Friday night Knicks is usually like a cursed game. Uh, I don't know if it was like, it used to be an old thing uh, that Seth Rosenthal would write about on Posting and Toasting about how Robert Randolph's theme was cursed and <laughs> all this other stuff. But every once in a while, the Knicks pull out a good one on a Friday night. This one they should have pulled out, and luckily they did. Uh, if they had managed to collapse down the stretch, like it looked like they perhaps might have, this would be a much different podcast. This might be a about ready to call for Tibbs's head kind of podcast, but the Knicks managed to pull this one out 121 to 112 over the Cade Cunningham-less Pistons team here. And, uh, you know, the, the big story, I think, from this one for the Knicks, if we want to look at this from a positive standpoint, is that R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson, and Julius Randle were all brilliant in this game, I think. R.J. Barrett, 30 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 10 of 17 shooting, 7 of 8 from the free throw line. Jalen Brunson, 26 points, 7 assists, 4 steals, 8 of 16 for him from the field, and 8 of 8 from the free throw line. And Randall was 21 points, 8 boards, 5 assists, 8 of 18 from the field, and 5 of 5 from the free throw line. I'll start with RJ, who led the you know the team in scoring, obviously, with those 30 points. I, I really thought this game showed a lot of the best that RJ has to offer. Uh, he was showing a quick trigger on his threes. He was being decisive in general um, and really – not holding the ball for too long, didn't look like he was overthinking things, just kind of seemed like he was letting the game come to him. It's such a cliche to say that, I feel like, but like that is really important for RJ. I feel like I, I think that that's what makes his game shine is when he 
doesn't think about things too much and just kind of plays within himself, plays within his role, doesn't try to do too much as far as like ISOing and and you know breaking down his defender and that kind of thing, and just kind of makes the quick decisions, puts the ball on the floor quick, or shoots it quick, or you know passes it relatively quick out of a drive or whatever the case may be. That's the move for him, and and he did a lot of that in this game. He also, I thought he played quite well finishing at the rim in this game. So I looked up his rim numbers now at this point. He's 61% at the rim to this point in the year. Uh, That still is not a fantastic number for a wing, uh, but it does put him 48th percentile among wings per clean the glass. So about league average, Enoch's 50th percentile is average. Much better than what RJ's done at any other point in his career. So typically in his career he's finished anywhere from like the 15th to 25th percentile so in the bottom 15 to 25 percent of the league uh as far as wings at finishing around the rim not great uh so getting to around league average is pretty good because his three-point shot seems to now be coming around as well if that three-point shot comes around he starts shooting like 38 39 percent from three again and can be at least league average at you know making his shots on the inside and then drawing fouls the way that he did in this game where again, he had eight free throw attempts. I think that's a great recipe. I I mean, I think that I could very much see where he could get himself on track to potentially average like 23, 24 points per game, something along those lines. If he keeps this up, which is great. I mean, I think that's, that's definite progress for him. So, um, you know, I, I think that would be, and an awesome development for him uh, in that regard. He's currently uh, shooting pretty well overall as well, and and his usage is not super high compared to the amount of points that he's scoring, which is good. So, I I mean, I I just think that things are starting to kind of come together for RJ, which is what you like to see. You know, in a season that's been kind of up and down like this, the fact that he has not played as well as you would potentially want him to play and still is averaging over 20 points a game, I think is pretty solid, you know, uh, and doing it on relatively low usage while not seeing any, uh, any change to his assist numbers just kind of shows you like he's getting to the free throw line pretty well. I think he needs to keep doing that better because he is averaging almost one free throw per game less this year than he was last year. Uh, but you, you want to keep seeing improvement from him and keep seeing him get better. Uh, Jalen Brunson, I really thought just kind of controlled the entire tempo of this game. You know, he put the full scoring package on display uh, like he always does. You know, starts the game off just with, you know, breaking down the defense off the dribble, hitting a nice little floater and, you know, just kind of setting the tone for like, all right, well, I can once again get basically whatever I want in this game. I thought that the most impressive thing that he did in this game was his uh, locating to the spot and then hitting corner threes. Because we see, you know, Brunson is often the guy that's initiating the action for the team. And so if he's doing that, then, you know, it just shows a real acute sense of awareness from him to be able to then be like, okay, I know what I need to do now. I'm going to, you know, locate myself to the corner, make sure that I'm there to receive the pass. And then, of course, make the shot because we've seen we have seen some Nick point guards in the past that could get themselves to the corner, like Alfred Payton, for example, but then weren't respected from there. Uh, Brunson gets himself there, receives passes and really draws the defense. Uh, they, they're very afraid of him shooting threes as they should be 
because he's been doing a great job of it this year. But the four steals were pretty good too. I mean, I thought that he had a great nose for the ball on defense in this game. You know, I, I didn't think that he was forcing anything in that regard, but he was, he was definitely like making the right moves and gambling on the right passes and things like that, which I, I think is important for a player like him that isn't the most physically gifted guy on the floor and definitely gets burned a decent amount on defense for those lack of physical gifts. But, you know, he can make up for that by being just kind of savvy. They also, they showed him mic'd up in this game. And one thing that I was impressed with is that he definitely is quarterbacking both sides of the ball for the Knicks. Like he did a lot of talking on defense, which I think is good because I think based off, you know, you can hear a little bit of what goes on on the court from the, the court, you know, camera or sorry, court uh, microphones and all that. And I I feel like I haven't heard a lot of talking out of the Knicks defense this year. And that probably leads to some of these breakdowns where they're giving up these open threes where guys or, you know, like that Celtics game that was just abysmal as far as never knowing who's supposed to be switching or, you know, what the case may be there. It just seems like they're not talking very much. And Brunson was definitely very vocal. You know, they showed a number of clips of him mic'd up. Now, granted, these are, you know, they're cherry picked to make him look good, but I thought that it seemed pretty genuine that he's out there really like making sure that everybody is where they need to be, you know, communicating, like calling out assignments and stuff like that. So I, I like that from him a lot. And then Randall, I mean, there's not, there wasn't too much to say with Randall. I guess other than he shot 0 of 7 from 3, which, uh, you know, you would think would totally sink his day, but still managed to be pretty efficient. Like on all of his other shots, he shot 8 of 11, uh, got to the free throw line five times, like, was moving the ball well, was cutting well, you know, was running well in transition, stuff like that. Like, I thought this was just a good game from him. You know, I maybe saw a few lackadaisical moments from him on defense, but all in all, I thought that he was mostly pulling his weight there too. Just keep this up. I mean, I I don't know why Randall goes through so many, you know, ebbs and flows of of defensive effort and stuff like that when, when, you know, you can see what he's capable of and he really does – a, a really good job um, in his best appearances. So I, I thought it was a fantastic uh, game for him and also sort of played within himself. And, you know, if a couple of those threes fell, we'd be talking about how great of a game it was. And as it stands, I think it was just a really good game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that was the three stars for the Knicks that there's some other things to get into as far as players, but I, I want to in a second get into some concerns I had coming out of this game. This was not to me the most uh, encouraging game from the defense. Again, considering the quality of opponent and everything else, I have some pretty serious worries there that I want to get into in just a moment. But uh, I also have to let you guys know real quick that today's show is brought to you by betonline.net and betonline.net is your number one source for the latest odds and trends for every professional sport and amateur league out there. It's also your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got you covered at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at betonline as well. Maybe a little locked on Knicks action, maybe a little locked on NBA or locked on fantasy basketball, something like that. Uh, They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. 
an interesting odd that is uh, that is up via Bet Online. Kyrie Irving next team, if not the Brooklyn Nets. I was really hoping to not see the Knicks show up on this list. They are currently at a fifteen to two. However, the Lakers are at a three to two, and I would feel a lot better about making that bet. That seems like exactly the type of move that LeBron would want to make uh, for a guy that he's familiar with. That apparently they buried the hatchet from whatever tension they had from Cleveland and all that stuff. I don't know. I think if you're going to spend money on that. That's maybe the way to go. But I maybe mean, wouldn't spend any money on it because the Kyrie situation seems very uh, unpredictable. So don't go for that. Uh, but at any rate, again, head to the website today, betonline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. it is where the game starts. All right, and I am back uh, talking more about the Knicks here and about this win, but... I had some concerns that I want to voice here. I think this is good middle segment kind of material because I, I, I want to focus on the positives. That's what I like to do. You know, I, I enjoy talking about the positive things more than the negative, but I found the stretch run of this game to be a little concerning and it's starting to expose a trend where I think the Knicks are going to start getting burned more and more if they keep playing defense the way that they have. Um, so like the Knicks led by, I mean, they got out to a pretty great lead for part of this game. They led by, you know, the high in the high teens, I think maybe up to like 17 points, possibly even 19. I don't know. They, they got pretty high up there as far as the lead for a lot of the game, you know, and especially in the second half, but they kind of continued this disturbing trend of letting the opponent get back in the game via allowing open threes. And like, they were pretty lucky in general, the Pistons, like, from early on in this game, including uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, who's a great shooter, the Knicks were letting them open from pretty early in this game. And you can't really get away with that. You know, like on, okay, on maybe the worst team in the league right now or one of the worst teams, like, sure, yeah, you can, you can, I guess, take the chance a little bit. Like the Pistons are not, one of the best, you know, three-point shooting teams in the league. So I guess you could try to play the averages on them, but it's sort of becoming something that the Knicks do against every team. And lo and behold, they sort of got burned a little bit in this. Uh, Isaiah Livers got rolling late, which kind of brought the Pistons back into this. They got within four points with a minute and a half left and had some of the guys on the Knicks not hit some clutch shots, like Emmanuel quickly had a clutch one. Uh, Obi Toppin had a pretty big three down the stretch. There was some big free throws made by like Brunson, Barrett, et cetera. So, you know, the, the guys stepped up and they finished it. But a team like the Pistons, you should be able to keep at 15 points away from you down the stretch of a game. And yet the Knicks were incapable of it because they were allowing a lot of open threes. And these guys are NBA players. Like every player in the NBA can hit an open three, like a wide open three where someone's not even going to come and attempt to you know, contest and that, you know, the Knicks had some good shot making in this game, but, and they had some relatively open threes, but the Pistons were at least giving like a token contest on some of those. The Knicks had plenty of in this, especially that livers was taking that they were just like, go ahead and take it. You know, we're, we're not even going to really close on you. And that's been a big problem for their defense lately. Um, I pulled a little bit of numbers because I was kind of curious about this. I wanted to see how, so NBA stats, uh, NBA.com slash stats, they offer 
a bunch of different tracking numbers. And the one that I was interested in was they have numbers for like uh, catch and shoot versus pull up. They have, you know, numbers for uh, uh, how much time is left in the shot clock, et cetera. They also have numbers for how tight the coverage is on somebody. And so they consider six plus feet away. If someone is six or more feet away, that shot is considered wide open. So I looked up what the wide open statistics are for the entire NBA. 26 out of 30 teams in the NBA, and the Pistons sit like right on the cusp of this. Like they're like right there. 26 out of 30 teams in the NBA shoot over league average, which is 35.5% this year so far when they're left wide open from three. Some of the best teams, I think the Nuggets were number one, and there were some of the other teams you might expect to be up there as well. Some of the best teams in the league shoot as high as 43% on open threes. So you're just not going to be able to beat good teams if this is your strategy to essentially be leaving, leaving players wide open and saying, well, we'll just play the averages of how often these guys usually make threes. It just doesn't work because the averages go up significantly once you leave somebody wide open. Just for comparison's sake, I figured I would pull uh, that that coverage number down a bit. And so I pulled it from uh, six plus feet to two to four feet uh, as far as, you know, coverage distance. So how close, you know, the defender is to the player when they shoot. And if you do that, suddenly instead of the 26 out of 30 teams that shoot above league average, you get down to only 11 teams in the NBA shoot above league average on those attempts. So, if the Knicks can make more of an effort to switching to sticking to their man and not trying so hard to, to close in on guys that are driving with multiple defenders to try to stop the drive, but instead saying, let's just trust the defender to do it. Maybe you still have your center come over and try to help off, you know, whether that's Hartenstein, whether that's Mitch, whether that's Sims, have them come over and offer that assistance, but stop having like RJ Barrett, like zipped zip on into the inside to try to get a strip or try to just in general, like get in front of the guy that's driving all the while leaving his man wide open on the perimeter. That's where we're seeing like that Celtics game where you just had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to a degree and uh, Sam Hauser wide open all the time. That's where you're seeing like the, the uh, Nets game, you know, where they got just, absolutely annihilated by like Edmund Sumner and Seth Curry and all the role players on that team, Royce O'Neal, you know, with wide open threes in that game, because they do so much collapsing that teams that have shooting are just going to destroy the Knicks the rest of this year. And it's basically going to limit them. Like this game, I think was sort of an interesting micro way of looking at this, where it's like, the Knicks are just good enough right now to where they can beat one of the worst teams in the league playing defense the way that they have because their talent will just still overrule and they can play the averages because the worst teams in the league aren't going to have great shooting averages. But they're not at a point where they can keep playing this way against average or better teams. And this season to me so far, when I was trying to think about it, is giving me a lot of vibes very similar to the first Derrick Rose season. That was 
2015-16, I think. Uh, the first time that Derrick Rose got traded to the Knicks in the Phil Jackson era, when they were like 500 through the end of December. And I remember even talking myself into like, oh man, this is great. Like they're kind of figuring things out. They're like about 500 right now. You know, things are looking up, you know, they, they maybe they'll make playoffs this year. And then, but you started looking at the, all the expected win totals. And I talked about this on that pod yesterday. Like, um, I believe it's uh, cleaning the glass has the expected win totals measurement and uh, based off of, you know, different like efficiency stats and, and, you know, the, the point differential and stuff like that, that the Knicks are playing with right now. And they're projected if they keep playing the way that they've been playing, that they might end up like a 34, 35 win team this year. And if you're going to keep playing this way, once the schedule gets a little tougher, later in the season, which it figures to, I think that things are going to get pretty rough for the Knicks here. If they can't start figuring out how to play a brand of basketball that maximizes their talent, that maximizes what they can do on defense and lets them hang with actually good teams rather than mostly the MO lately is they get their butts kicked by great teams and they can beat, Sometimes comfortably, sometimes uncomfortably, the the worst teams. Makes them comfortably mediocre, I guess. But I, I think that given the talent level on this team, they could achieve more, potentially. Or the other solution is you just say, well, we don't want to achieve more. And you ship off some of the veterans or whatever, and you just go full like tank mode for Weminyama. But I, I do really think that there is like a like a skeleton here for a Knicks team that could be better than they are right now, especially on defense. Maybe one guy that is a huge part of that could be Quentin Grimes. So uh, I will talk about Quentin Grimes in just a second, along with wrapping up some of the final things from this game. All right, and I'm back to talk Quentin Grimes and some other odds and ends from this game. So Grimes kind of got back in and got some, I would call it decent minutes in this game. I would have loved to have seen more. He looks pretty healthy. He looks pretty, he, like in this game, I, I would say he looked pretty in shape. He looked play-wise, you know, maybe like he was overcompensating a bit, which led to some kind of silly fouls. He had three fouls in seven uh, seven minutes and, and 40 seconds. But like, all in all, I, I liked how he played. I think that on offense, especially, he looked a lot more comfortable than the other time he'd come in. Uh, in that game, what was it against Philly, if I'm not mistaken, when he had gotten like the few token minutes before, or that was when he got in the start. Yeah. So he got like, I forget what his minute total was in that game, but he hasn't really played like since then. So I thought he looked pretty comfortable. I definitely thought he looked more comfortable than that appearance, but he shot two of four, uh, made a three. He, I think, was playing a very similar role to what we see out of to, to some degree, RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, which is the guy that kind of like gets the ball has to make a quick decision. Like he has the green light and he has the ability to shoot the three, but then also is making a quick decision of like, okay, is my defender too close? Do I pump fake head fake real quick, put it on the ground, try to get inside. He did have like a couple drives in this game as well. Uh, and was looking to kind of facilitate that way but also took a couple threes, again, made one of them. So 
I liked what I saw from him. I think he was, I think he was pretty good. Um, you know, I think it's a good, a good stepping stone. I just really hope that he's fully healthy because I don't want him to be unhealthy anymore. They're saying that it's not plantar fasciitis or whatever. So whatever it is that's got him, you know, not feeling well right now, hopefully it, he's over it at this point. And, you know, the limited minutes in this game was kind of just to get his feet wet. And now he can get more minutes going forward. Part of the reason I say that is Evan Fournier was pretty rough again. Uh, he got double digit minutes, kind of stunk it up. So much as I don't want to just like simplify it like that. Uh, shot 05 had a, a really ugly transition turnover at one point. Um, yeah, I don't know how much there really is to say about Fournier at this point, other than he's not really doing anything to earn any confidence of any sort which is sad because I, I really like his game. Like we're talking about the guy who literally set the Knicks single season three point record last year that had stood for 30 something years, you know, or like exactly 30 years, you know, it was, it was a long standing record. Like I, I don't know what's happened to him this year, but the three point shooting isn't there. He doesn't seem to have any confidence in himself. He didn't have any confidence in himself in the starting lineup. It doesn't seem like moving to the bench is kind of like lit a fire under him in any way. It seems like he still is dealing with whatever self-confidence and all that. I don't know what the answer is with him. I, I, I'm inclined to say that maybe you run some more actions for him off the bench, but he doesn't seem all that interested in even running actions. Like he's just, he's done so much of just kind of dribbling the air out of the ball and looking for his own shot. And it doesn't inspire any confidence to me that he can get out of this weird mental or just shooting slump here. Uh, but I hope he figures it out. Uh, but if he doesn't, I don't really th like if he's playing the way that he is right now, I don't really think that he really deserves minutes anymore. If Grimes is fully healthy, I think you can just say, all right, it's Grimes. It's quickly, you know, it's Rose. That's like our backup guard rotation. Um, or, you know, eventually Grimes starts and then you say, okay, it's cam as like the two, three, sub and then quickly in rows as your other two like guards off the bench. I just, I don't, I don't see a role for Evan going forward. If, if he keeps playing this way, which, you know, again, unfortunate. Um, speaking of Emmanuel quickly though, I think maybe he was starting to break his shooting slump a little bit. He shot two or three from deep. He had a key sidestep three off an RJ assist late that put the Knicks up nine with 40 seconds to go. That was kind of like the dagger at that point. So he had himself a game and looked good on both ends, I thought. Um, I was impressed. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, I think that uh, I think if quickly starts shooting well again, everything changes for him. And that's kind of always been the case. Like, he just needs to start shooting well again, and then he'll be great because he really delivers on defense. I went over his his on off numbers on yesterday's pod, but like he's like a plus. The Knicks are like plus ten points better when he's on the floor versus off uh, net rating because of you know how much worse they are when he's not out there versus how much better they are when he is out there. I I don't see any reason to you know not keep embracing playing him like twenty minutes and just kind of let him work through this slump and hopefully find that gear that he had at the end of last year where he was just absolute dynamite all the time. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> I just want to note like one funny thing that I noticed during this game. So Isaiah Livers, 
and Sadiq Bey have very similar builds and hairstyles. And their numbers aren't super similar, but poor Sadiq Bey, he was the one that mostly got victimized with this, but maybe Livers did once or twice too, but they kept calling one the other. But I felt like mostly it was Sadiq Bey was getting called Livers the whole time. And I just felt bad for him. I'm like, man, if you go home and you're watching and you watch the like replay or you go back to your hotel room, you watch the replay of the Knicks broadcast, you're going to be like, wow, they really gave like half of my plays to my teammate and gave him credit instead of me. I just thought it was really funny. A lot of times Clyde will make that mistake sometimes, but Breen is usually pretty quick on correcting him. They were like both very not great with it. One hilarious sequence, it was like Breen called Bay Livers and then corrected himself a second later. It was like, oh, sorry, that was, that was Bay actually. And then Clyde, like one second later, was like, yeah, yeah, Mike Livers really, uh, you know, went in there and got that rebound or whatever. And it was like, oh, poor Sadiq Bay. Anyway, uh, so that's pretty much it for this game. I mean, I thought it was, thought it was kind of boring in its own little way. I don't know. I, th- I just didn't think that this game was, there's a lot to write home about here. Um, I thought that they, the Knicks did what they should have, but ultimately let Detroit get a little too close. I'm really intrigued to see how this Sunday matinee is going to go against OKC. Uh, that's another team that, you know, does not project to be a particularly great team over the course of this entire season. Um, you know, they're, they're two and they're, they're like not uh, uh, super great at the moment sitting at five and seven. I mean, I guess that's only a game below where the Knicks are right now. So I'm not really one to cast stones, but not a team that projects to be, you know, some sort of powerhouse this year and, and on paper should be a team the Knicks should beat, but they have uh, one thing that the Knicks have a hard time containing. And that's a star guard in Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, I'm getting this feeling that he's going to light the Knicks up kind of like Donovan Mitchell did a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's averaging 30 plus points. He's shooting 36% on open threes this year, which I'm sure he'll get plenty of given how the Knicks defense has been. And he's just a menace getting inside and drawing contact. He gets 7.5 free throws attempted a game. He shoots 94% from the line, but he also, in addition to that, shoots 74% at the rim. All just nonsense numbers and stuff that the Knicks have a really hard time containing, which I don't think works in their favor at all. Uh, So I guess we will see how that game goes. But good news is uh, we'll be here for you on Locked on Knicks to talk about it as usual. So till that time, uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. And we'll be back with an episode on Monday, breaking down that Sunday matinee game. Till next time, though, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Peace.